Okay, John, so a quote from the film. Everybody should have one talent. What's yours? Lies, accents, killing people in boats, stealing identities. Okay, well, that's four. Some films are fine, just the way they are. Other films sometimes take it way too far. Really, how? How could it get? Let's go beyond. Beyond the box set. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Box Set. Sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. And Harry, you joining me as always is John. I'd like to refer to as the talented Mr. Lucas from now on, if that's okay. The talented Mr. Lucas? Yeah. Okay. Are you talented? I just described a litany of talents that I have. I can't think of a single time you've done any of those things. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, John, why did you choose this film? Uh, so this week we're doing The Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah. And I chose this film because a couple of weeks ago you mentioned that you didn't think I liked Matt Damon. And I got yes. this. I, got I, I, was, I was going to ask that again this, this week. <laughs> mm. Well, I got a little bit defensive. I said, no, I do like Matt Damon. He's great. But I thought about it. And actually, I thought the only film of Matt Damon's I can genuinely say that I've liked is this one. Mm-hmm. And for given how many films he's made, that's kind of quite a low batting average. Mm-hmm. Matt Damon is kind of like the Nando's of film stars. Mm-hmm. Like, he's solid, he's dependable, you know what you get him, but he's nobody's favourite thing. That's one hell of a quote. Nando's of film stars. I just try to imagine the kind of person who, for whom Matt Damon would be the number one. Like if he's in it, I'm sold. I just like he's he, there's nothing wrong with him. He's he's very he's a very good actor. But so yeah, I wanted to revisit this and remember why I liked him in this so much. And mm-hmm. I did watching it back. I really enjoyed him in this film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because he's perfectly cast in this. Pers- mm-hmm. He's kind of playing it tight, but in a way that works because he's playing a villain, which we're not used to. Yeah. But I think the essential blandness that I see in Matt Damon anyway, it works in this character because this the whole point of Tom Ripley is that he is somebody who has no confidence in his own personality and so he just tries to be a reflection of what he thinks other people want him to be mm-hmm. and he become, it manifests as this kind of very needy, very creepy kind of quality mm-hmm. and it also yeah. makes, because he is kind of bland, when it, when it takes a turn and becomes quite actively sinister, it's actually really creepy. I think like Matt Damon now doesn't make very adventurous film choices. He makes kind of like the Bourne films and he, ma- he makes kind of, you know, Ocean's Eleven kind mm. of stuff. Yeah, I kind of agree. He's very much settled into just being just average and likable. Yeah, I feel like this is this is very this is like two years after Goodwill Hunting. He's young, he's hungry, he wants the Oscar. Mm-hmm. He's really trying in this, and, he, and like I say, he's taking a role that's kind of against type. He's taking some risks, and he's really doing a lot of things. And I, for that reason, I enjoy this film and, and enjoy him in it. So mm. I wouldn't say it changed my opinion of Matt Damon on the whole, because the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't think of any other performances of his that I enjoyed mm-hmm. comparatively. Yeah. But it reminded me that I wasn't. I wasn't making things up. Yeah. I did, I did actually think he was very good in this film. But what did you think of this film? Well, I really enjoyed it. And as always, well, especially with this film, you said, don't look into it. I think it was for this. Yeah, it was this film. Yeah, yeah the less you know about it, the better, yeah, yeah. going in. And so I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I was very happy that I worked out that pretty much everybody was bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that I, I worked that out by myself before anything was made particularly obvious. Um which was, uh, I don't know, made me feel proud of myself. But uh, yeah, it got to that sort of, that twist maybe 20 minutes in. And by that point, I was just like, oh, is this just a romance between these two? I mean, yeah, I yeah, buy it, it's fine, but there's like an hour and a half left. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm 
happy with the direction it took. Um, I, I then really got sold by it and was really interested with it. Well, that was what I was going to ask. So I assume by twist you mean the moment when Matt Damon kills Jude Law? Yes. Yeah, okay. So first of all, that doesn't happen 20 minutes into the movie. That happens an hour into the movie. Right. So that's probably why it felt like it was taking a long time because it takes a long time. Yeah. So I was actually going to ask, <laughs> did you see that coming? Because it, it does really take a long time building up that kind of... No, I did not see that coming in any way. So you didn't think it was going to take a murder twist? No. Good. I, well, I thought that was what you'd enjoy because that's what I, I meant when I said don't look into it because if you go into it expecting that, that's one mm. thing. But Because if you go into it just seeing one thing then... Well, good shout then. Good yeah, shout. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to go back. You said that you figured out that everyone was bisexual? Well, not everyone, but like at least... I could buy the relationship between Jude Law and Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. but then I could also buy Jude Law and Matt Damon, mm-hmm. or Jude Law having some interest in Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Damon, does he not start off with a fiancé? I think he makes her up. Okay. Because you never see her. You I see don't think start, don't you? That's the singer he's accompanying, but then uh... you, you see that he's depping for another guy. This film, because this film is very plot-driven and there's lots of twists mm-hmm. and turns, it bu- it really builds up its story quite quickly. So it's easy to miss things, but at the very beginning of the film, he's playing a gig in a Princeton jacket. Mm-hmm. And that's why Jude Law's dad mm-hmm. assumes he's a Princeton graduate and says, mm-hmm. you must have known my son Dickie then. Mm-hmm. You must have been friends. Yeah. Go to, I will pay you to go to Italy and bring him home. But then you see him get into the car and hand the jacket back to the other guy who must be the actual Princeton graduate. So he was actually depping musically for the singer and her you regular partner so I don't think that was her fiance his fiance okay well in that case I'm gonna have to make some minor changes to my plot okay cool (laughs) well you know this test your improv skills yeah (laughs) he could have had it well this is the thing it might not have been her but he could still have a fiance I just interpreted it as that being one one of his many lies that he tells to kind of trying to fit into their world Mm. so you did believe that Jude Law was on some level attracted to Matt Damon's character yeah definitely okay good yeah because I think that's well not good because that is one of the things that's open to interpretation is because they never actually there's definitely some very homoerotic scenes like when they're mm-hmm. in playing chess in the bath but yeah. there is that kind of thing is it all in his head or is there something there like I don't think they have sex. I think what we see on the screen is the extent of their relationship. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. But I definitely read it as in Jude Law's character is aware of it, mm. and whether or not he is actively attracted to him, he he at the very least is aware of it and enjoys the attention, and kind of leads him on a little bit in that sense. So mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any brothers? No. No brothers, no sisters. Me neither. Or does Marge? All only children. What does that mean? It means we've never shared a bath. Damon's appearance in this film did you find that he there was something weird about the way he looked that was slightly off-putting at one point I, I did say Matt Damon looks more like well what me and my housemate nickname 
uh, Meth Damon. That, Meth that, Damon. That guy from Breaking Bad who looks like Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I said he, look, he looks more like Meth Damon than he does like Matt Damon in this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. I think maybe it is because he maybe lost some weight for this role mm. and it really didn't suit him. Like, <laughs> there, at all. There was something, like, especially at the start when he's wearing that jacket and the glasses and stuff, mm. just like, he looks super young in this, but mm. like he's been made to look young. Yeah, definitely. But... I don't know, there was something about, I think because he normally carries a bit of weight and he's got kind of a square jaw, mm-hmm. and in this one he wasn't, he was very thin and his jaw was very weak, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was an acting choice where he was giving himself an overbite as well, but it just, it made him look really awkward, and the glasses didn't help because he was wearing, he does not manage his glasses. No. He really, especially not those kind of Millhouse Van Houten meets yeah. kind of poor from the Wonder Years, kind of big, round, cheap looking glasses. Also, they did not have lenses in them. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the other thing. It was, I did notice that his glasses kind of came on and came off quite arbitrarily through the mm. film. And I know that was supposed to be in the plot. It was where when he's taking over Dickie, Jude Law's personality, mm-hmm. he doesn't wear glasses. Yeah. But I was like, so what, do you need them to see or not? Like... <laughs> Looked... Well, well, there was a point where, where he, he puts them on or, or somebody puts them on and you look like Clark Kent. Yeah. And I was like, uh... It was... And then, now mm. Superman. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would have loved those scenes when he's trying to be all suave and Jude Law and he just like trips over things because he can't see anything in front yeah. of him like that. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, what did you think of um, Gwyneth in this film? I, li- I liked her looking blonde. She looked great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, she was good. It was nice to see her doing some proper emotions. Mm. Rather than just like, get out of the Iron Man suit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I like the way that they play the way that she becomes gradually more suspicious of mm-hmm. Ripley, mm-hmm. of Tom. Because initially she's actually very sympathetic to him. And I really enjoy the scene actually when Dickie first starts to kind of cool off on him a little bit. And she, she says she can sympathise because she probably has experienced similar things because he's cheating on her and stuff. Yeah. And she does that speech. She says, you know... When, this, when, he, when he likes you, the sun shines on you. But when he doesn't, it's very cold. Mm. And you can see that as well. You can see how such a charismatic person, you would kind of really get very easily sucked into their world and really fall in love with them. And then yeah. how something like that would just get bored of you and drop you and move on to someone else and it'd be really hard to deal with. The thing with Dickie, it's like the sun shines on you and it's glorious. And then he forgets you and it's very, very cold. So I'm learning. When you have his attention, you feel like you're the only person in the world. That's why everybody loves him. It's always the same. Whenever someone new comes into his life, Freddy, Fausto, Peter Smith Kingsley, he's wonderful. Have you met him? Especially you. No. No. That's just the boys. With kind of thriller films, there's normally like a big realisation plot twist moment when suddenly it's like goes from zero to 60. Mm-hmm. Whereas that didn't happen with this film. With this film, you saw how every time she met him after Dickie disappeared, or even slightly before, but especially after he disappeared, when she, I think it first happens when he sees her at the opera and she's like, why are you here? Mm. And then every time after that, she gets more and more suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. And it works so well because you can see the cogs wearing in her head. Which is, it makes a really nice change again. It's a really nice dynamic. And I think compared to that kind of just like, oh, now he's evil. Yeah. And I think she really sold that really. They both did. They did, yeah. He did as well because... Look, we'll look at the scene in the in the hotel room where like he's just about to murder her. Mm, that's like, so tense. That was creepy. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying because like, they both know exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. what's, what's going to happen. I, I did find it quite scary. Yeah. That yeah, that's, that is the most kind of... 
outright villain moment for Matt Damon when it is like, oh, he's going to kill her. And it's yeah. kind of really sinister, but it is, it works. It really ramps up the tension. Mm. Marge, where are you going? I wasn't snooping. I just, I was just looking for a needle and thread to mend my bra. That scent you're wearing, I bought that for you. The thing about Dickie, so many things. That day, when he was late coming back from Rome, I tried to tell you this. He was with another girl. I'm not talking about Meredith either. Another girl that we met in a bar. He couldn't be faithful for five minutes. So when he makes a promise, it doesn't mean what it means when you make a promise or I make a promise. He has so many realities, Dickie, and he believes them all. He lies. He lies. And that's his, and half the time he doesn't even realize he's doing it. And today, I really started wondering whether he may have killed Freddy. He would get so crazy if anybody would contradict him. Well, you know that. You know that. You know that. And that's the irony, Marge. I loved you. You may as well know, Marge, I loved you. I don't know, maybe it's grotesque of me to say this now, so just write it on a piece of paper or something and put it in your purse for a rainy day. Tom loves me. Tom loves me. Why do you have Dickie's rings? I told you, he gave them to me. Why? When? I feel as if you haven't been listening to anything I've been saying to you. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It's all true. I don't believe a single word you've said. You're shivering, Marge. Look at you, Marge. Can I hold you? Will you let me hold you? Marge? Okay, now can we talk um, a little bit about Philip Seymour Hoffman? Now, yes. First, I want to just point out that car. Oh my God. I loved how that car was just the smallest thing. It was like a toy and flips him off. He's quite a large man yeah. anyway. Just him in that car. Just, just a looks, big red car. Yeah. It just looks so ridiculous. <laughs> I loved it, it, him. It looked like a, like his feet should have been at the bottom. And yes. Should have yeah, been yeah. just pushing it along. Like, this, like in the Flintstones. Yeah. Just Yeah, I absolutely loved him in this film. He was such a magnificent cunt in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost, this might be a little bit out there, I almost felt like he was playing that character as if that character was a cat. Go on. He just had this kind of real sense of self-satisfaction. And this kind of thing that cat, you know, this, this might just speak to my general distrust of cats. But... Um, but it, it was like every line he said, he wasn't saying it as purring it. He was really like... <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was like, hey, well, if I'm late, think what her husband's saying. Mm. Like it's re- it was really like down here. It was, it was like Mae West, like, come up and see me sometime. Mm. So it was very like... <laughs> yeah, I do kind of agree. <laughs> oh, God, don't you want to fuck every woman you see just once? Only once? Absolutely once, child. Tom Ripley. Freddie Martin. Tom. I mean, hey, if I'm late, think what her husband's saying. <laughs> you look gorgeous. And then, it, yeah, and it had that kind of thing of just the smugness that he had and this kind of like, this way that cats kind of just think that they should walk around thinking that they're shit. Mm-hmm. And they don't do anything to earn your affection. They just assume that they have it. Yeah. 
there were, honestly, there were scenes in this film where I really felt like if he turned his back and he had a tail, I wouldn't have been like super surprised. Like, it was just <laughs> had that whole vibe for me. <laughs> I love how he sees through Ripley straight away. Doesn't he, yeah. He totally sees what's going on and he just takes absolute pleasure in just fucking with him mm. and just belittling with him and torturing him. And again, I'm really committing to this metaphor now, but it is, it's like a cat playing with a mouse. Mm-hmm. It's just, he's just like, I see this and I'm going to make you feel so uncomfortable. And it's the worst thing you could do to a character like Tom Ripley because he's so cripplingly insecure mm-hmm. that it just makes him spiral. Considering he's not in this film very much, he is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but again, well, that was the other thing with the cat thing because he literally drives that little red Mini Cooper into a, his, his opening scene is driving that into a flock of pigeons. So oh, yeah. he literally starts just like, <laughs> meow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that he, he gets out of it in that opening scene. Like he doesn't use his hands to, he just climbs over the door. Yeah. But just with his legs, he just sort of like steps out of it like that. <laughs> I would love to know how many takes it took for him to get that without like yeah. just falling onto his arms. Just tripping. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another character we've not talked about yet in this film was uh, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Playing um, playing Meredith Logue. I thought, again, she took a character that was kind of nothingy, And just, this is how you can tell a great actress for me. Mm-hmm. And she, much like Philip Seymour Hoffman, she made gave that character so much detail and so much believability. Mm-hmm. She was, she was to me, was her character was basically gap year girl. She was girl on a gap year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was that girl you meet, that rich, you know, that that rich, unexamined, privileged kind of girl mm-hmm. who you meet. She's the pretty girl at the bar. You get, you think, you get talking to her for two minutes, and for the first two minutes, you think, "Oh, you're really cool. You're quite nice." Mm-hmm. And then you keep talking to her. You go, "Oh no, you're awful." I need to get out of this conversation right that away. That scene where she's like, "Oh, it's so difficult having money." Yes, <laughs> it was so good, but she played it so well. And she, she did, she, yeah. The, there was the way she's kind of always talking, but never really listening. Yeah, I, I think she really made that character really. Yeah. Good, yeah. The truth is that it, well, if you've had money your entire life, even if you despise it, which we do, agreed, you're, you're only truly comfortable around other people who have it and despise it. I know. I've never admitted that to anyone. Cool. Shall we get started? Oh, okay, fine. But I do really want to quickly talk about Peter Smith Kingsley a little bit more. Okay, sure. Okay, so that's the Jack Davenport character. Yes. Yeah. Poor, stupid, stupid, pretty man. Like, <laughs> like he really doesn't connect any dots whatsoever. Like, he has so many opportunities to be like, oh, yeah, this is suspicious. But um, he never does. He never figures it out. And I really, the reason I want to talk about him, though, is one of my favourite scenes of the film, mm. is when they're in the opera house. And mm-hmm. that's when he first meets Ripley. And he literally becomes Austin Powers. And it's so funny. <laughs> To me, because he's with he's with Marge, and he's like, and he's like, oh, Tom, Tom Ripley, and he's like, oh, hello. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I missed you in uh, Venice. He's like, oh yes, I was hoping we could row each other around sometime. It was like it was so Austin Powers to me. It was so funny. He was just he looked at him straight. He was like, I want to dick you. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It was so funny. I thought you were going to Venice. Well, is what happened with that? I heard you were desperate to come. I was rather looking forward to rowing you around. Okay, so on that note. Let's move on to some right, sequels. Yeah, so um, it's my turn first, I believe. Mm-hmm. So this one, well, I need you to come up with a name. Okay. Um, and a name of a person that Liam Hemsworth is going to play. Oh, God. Um, 4G4? 4G4? It's the name of a drag queen. Um, As in the, num- the number four? No, th- well, he, is Liam Hemsworth the one who plays Thor? Plays uh, Thor? Uh, oh, well, that's his brother, Chris Hemsworth. Chris, oh, well, I'm, no, I'm no, all no, 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 that's good, that's good. So... 4G Thor. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, actually taken. It's, it's trademarked by quite a well-known drag queen, but whatever. Right? Great, well, I've told the names before. So this one's the talented Mr. 
Thor. Sorry, I'm just writing that down. <laughs> no, I feel like we can do better. Well, who did he play in Ghostbusters? I don't know. Well, no, that was Chris Hemsworth. That was, I, I can't tell them apart. They're, They're interchangeable. The yeah, they are completely interchangeable. Apart from the third one, the third Hemsworth. Oh, yeah, because he's not as attractive at all. Yeah, he's definitely the... yeah. What's his name? Luke? Luke Hemsworth, yeah. He was in Westworld a bit, but yeah. He's, mm. He definitely got the short end of the genetic stick. Yeah, like he vaguely looks like the other two. Yeah. Like an early draft of the other two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a sketch. I mean, maybe a gruesome stubble he might have it, but... Yeah, maybe, yeah. See, the other two are always stubbly. So anyway, this is The the Talented Mr. Thor. Okay, cool. Starring Liam Hemsworth. Now it's a prequel. Oh. So I guess this was set in the early 50s, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So, Forgy, was it? Sure, yeah. Ford, okay. Go, go, you want, go you want something one. easier, like... No, Mr. No, no. Smith? Mr. What? No, no. Talented Mr. Smith? No. No. Forgy's good. Right. So, uh, we open with uh, Forgy graduating <laughs> from music college. Okay. Um, it's not a fancy college, just a normal one. And at this graduation, we're introduced to a couple of friends mm-hmm. um, who are all played by other hot young people okay. um, who I have decided, uh, Zac Efron and Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, so they're all talking about what they're going to do now that they've finished college, mm-hmm. the, the three of them. This is... Lee Hemsworth, Zac Efron, Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Zac Efron's character is uh, Tom, what's his name? Matt Damon's character. Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley. It's in the title. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do not put two and two together. You, um, you would so be Peter Smith Kingsley in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. So they're all talking about what they're going to do now that they've finished college and. 4G. <laughs> I'll, I'll get this in my head. I'll get used to it. And 4G is a little unhappy to hear that uh, nobody else is planning to actually do any jobs that involve music. Okay. We're trying to get other jobs. And so Tom asks 4G what he's planning on doing. And uh, 4G says, well, he's gonna, I'm going to busk around a bit and, you know, try and find a job where I'm, you know, just playing for some kind of rich person. I, I've heard that uh, Lady Florence Foster Jenkins is looking for someone to play for her. Oh, I see where this is going. Um, oh, so okay, so Zac Efron is playing Tom Ripley? Yeah. Okay, right, cool. And so Tom says that uh, he, he might interview for that as well, actually. That sounds, that sounds quite good if uh, they could get that. So that's what the, the two of them do. Um, we have a little montage over the summer of them trying to get jobs, uh, to which Tom comes around with a more musical side, and the two of them get an apartment together. But it's very cheap. Are they lovers? Uh, it's... Very, very possible. Okay. I mean, they, they share everything. It's just a one, one bedroom apartment. There's, there's, there's only one mattress. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to share all their food. There's, there's only one bed. Uh, bed, sorry. Um, bath. Okay. Uh, they share bath water. Is, what flat has more than one bath? Uh, like just because there's only one I, bath in a flat doesn't mean you have to share the bath. That's not generally how flat sharing works, but, but sure. Sure, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's an inter- a telling detail for your living arrangements. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, we, we go to the interview um, at uh, Lady Jenkins's house, mm-hmm. um, her grand house, and we're all uh, in the waiting room, just waiting to go in and do their little audition. And the door opens, Hugh Grant pokes his head out and says, the position has been taken. Oh, no. And uh, they all leave. So, so none of them, neither of them got the role? N- neither of them got that role. Because I was thinking while you were saying that, you could have called in the talented Mr. McMoon, because that was his name, Cosmo McMoon. Yeah. Well, exactly, but uh, I didn't go that route. I did think of it. But, okay, fine. Um, yeah, I didn't go that route. So they go back to that, their apartment. This, this is the point where I was going to describe the apartment and uh, a little unhappy. And so Tom starts playing the piano, just a bit of a sad song. Um, and Forty's not very happy and just sad music doesn't really work for him right now. So he goes for a walk. While he's walking, uh, somebody approaches him and sticks out a knife and says, give me all your money. 
And so he hands over everything he's got, which is not much, maybe. What? What's not very much money? I would say like five dollars, but this is the fifties. Five dollars is probably quite a lot. What's less than a dollar in the fifties? Obviously, here we had like uh, shillings and stuff. Yeah, uh, cents, maybe like fifty cents. 50 I feel like a couple of dollars wasn't a lot of money then. Maybe, okay, maybe sure. having like five dollars would be like having maybe twenty five dollars now. Like, so if he gets five dollars nicked off him, like okay, sure. Maybe he's got a dollar on him. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're quite poor. Yeah. Yeah, so he hands over all his money, which amounts to one exactly one dollar. Okay. <laughs> and in fact, that's not just the money he has has on him. That's all the money he's got in the world. Okay. So he's completely broke now. The mugger runs away, um, and Forty turns around, looks at the mugger with a thoughtful look in his eye. Is that thought? I have the body of Liam Hemsworth. Why the hell did I not fight back? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he's toned down for this thought. Okay, he's he's, like, he's slimmed right down for it. Okay. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. I don't know, I just kind of wanted to give Liam Hemsworth a bit of a... something else to act in. Okay. That's not just fighting and just being an action hero. So sad Which, piano player was... He, yeah, well, well, he's not really very good at the things he's done. No, true. He's always just been knock-off Chris Hemsworth. Mm. I don't think he's going to age into like the middle age of his acting career very well if, he, if, the, if the way things are going. Yeah, unless he makes he, a change. He doesn't have the range. He needs to show his range. Unless so. he does something like the talented Mr. Thor. True, well, there you go. This is the moment. We, yeah. we can sell this to him, yeah. Well, yeah, tweet him, see if he can yeah. get him to agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so he turns around, looks at the mugger, uh, watches the mugger run off with a thoughtful look in his eye, and he's like, hmm, okay. Listeners can't see what Harry's stroking his beard at this point, just <laughs> to demonstrate thought. Um. Okay, and now cut to five years later. Okay. Um, he's in a musical, uh, playing, a, playing a piano on stage to a sold-out audience. He finishes a brilliant concerto, and the audience erupts into applause. And give him a standing ovation. Okay. He's done an amazing job. Um, he stands up, take a bow. Everyone throws flowers at him. To him. At him. To him, yeah. Mm, sure. And he walks off stage to his dressing room, which is also full of flowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manager of the music hall comes in and says, Brilliant gig, Cosme. Can't wait to have you back. Oh, it's been a pleasure to play here, as always. Here's he said payment. Cosme. Sorry, he said Cosme. I did. But this is Liam Hemsworth? Yes. Okay, I, I, cool, okay. Um, and so the manager ha- hands him a cheque for a hundred dollars, okay. um, and it's made out to Cosme McMoon. Uh, okay, right. So. As in, this is the accompanist who works with Florence Foster Jenkins. Yes. In real life and in the film Florence Foster Jenkins, which was released last year, just in case anyone hasn't seen it. <laughs> he was played by the character from Big Bang Theory, uh, Howard. Yeah. What's that called? Oh, I have no idea. Him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so they shake hands, and the manager leaves. 4G, I forgot his name again. Uh, 4G goes back to his apartment, which is the same apartment as before, um, but he's now living on, living alone, and he's done up the apartment. It looks really nice now. He's got a bigger bath. Good. <laughs> I'm liking um, how baths are a running theme in this. <laughs> he's actually got a bed to put his mattress on now as well. Oh, God, um, he's truly living the high life. I know. And, uh, he might, might have the same mattress, might have a new mattress. I don't know, depends on what money he's made. And he opens a drawer, and in it, uh, we see he's got loads of different passports for loads of different people. Um, and he puts the cheque in a box to cash later and in this drawer he's got other things like he's got wigs and little bits of costume and stuff and so he takes out a wig puts it on looks in the mirror and says now I'm Elvis Presley <laughs> okay so essentially he's an identity thief okay but then again this, this isn't a young Tom Ripley this is no. this is his friend 4G4 who we haven't met before okay yeah. okay I mean, let's just see where this goes mm. so yeah he's, he, he is now Elvis okay Actual uh, Elvis. He's... I, I, no. No, he's not actual Elvis. Okay. Uh, and so he goes out and uh, does a gig as Elvis. Like again. an Elvis impersonator. Kind of yeah. Mm, 
people, people think he's Elvis. They do think he's the real deal. Okay. Yes. Um, and he plays a set much, pretty much as successful as last night. Um, and again, collects a check for $100. Okay. I have some questions about Elvis Presley's booking system, but we'll, we, I have a feeling maybe we should overlook that for now. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> and so when he's in the dressing room, he this, uh, tonight he has to meet some fans. Mm-hmm. Um, they won a competition or paid extra or something. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, and who walks in? It's Tom Ripley. And uh, I never gave a name for Jennifer Lawrence's character. Okay. Um, she's just the girlfriend. Sure, yeah. Francine? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, she's not the girlfriend of Tom Ripley, but just... Another friend. Okay. So fine. they were all friends in college, essentially. Okay, and, fine, yeah. You know, him, him and Zac Efron had... Tom Ripley had that uh, had that romance. Okay. Yeah. So, excited by old romance, which, which he used to have, he rips off his wig and says, <laughs> It's me, Forgy! <laughs> uh, and they're both very excited and also very confused. Mm, yeah. Also, um, we just, I paid for Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he explains the whole situation of him being an identity thief and... Uh, he's, he's making all this money and it's really great. Well, cover your tracks a bit, for you. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, and so he asks what they're up to. Mm-hmm. Tom says that, oh yeah, this um, this Greenleaf company's up for sale. And well, rumour has it that the boss is, well, the boss's son is in Italy and he wants his son back to come and take over the company when he leaves. So, you know, because I went to Princeton with him. So uh, I want to try and go out and just get that and see if, see if uh, he's starting to pay me any money for it. And Forty's like, oh, that's a good idea. Why didn't oh, I should do that? So he starts flirting with him, uh, takes him home, mm-hmm. uh, back to the apartment. It's like, oh, yeah, the old apartment, that's nice. Oh, we're sleeping on the old bed. Oh, the bathroom. And so all that happens. <laughs> just to reveal everyone. <laughs> And in his sleep, Forgy kills Tom Ripley. Okay. Doesn't really matter how it happens. Nice. Kills Tom Ripley and the next morning uh, goes round to Jennifer Lawrence's house mm-hmm. and says, Tom had to leave town for these reasons. <laughs> so, well, what do, what do you say that we go and we go and talk to, what's his name, Greenleaf, mm-hmm. um, and uh, see, see what we can do there? Uh, and she's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, we could do that. Um well, if we do one of your, one of your scams, that would probably be a little more successful. So that's what they do. He takes he takes the Princeton jacket and he goes and just starts building up this character of somebody who who tunes pianos but you know can play, fills in, and might take a few weeks, might not, but built up this character and eventually gains the trust of uh, what's his name Greenleaf, and that's how the first film starts. Okay, so Jennifer Lawrence was in it the, in on it the whole time. Uh, yes. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Now there might, there might be some continuity errors um, from me misunderstanding the film. Potentially. Uh, I, like the idea, I like the idea that Tom Ripley has been an identity for long. In fact, he's not even the real Tom Ripley. Yeah. Like, that's good because it's so many layers of identity theft and mm. like yeah, that's not, that works. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence didn't have loads to do. Like, no, for, she didn't. <laughs> for, for someone for an Oscar winner, like you didn't. Appear I mean, her roles are up and down. I think that Oscar was a fluke. True, a little bit. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's a that's a good prequel. Great. I, I feel I feel quite quite good with that one. Yeah. I, feel, I feel better with that idea than I did with last week's idea. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it wasn't just you reading up your personal diary for the music, <laughs> thinly veiled no. attempt. So, yeah. yeah, that didn't pay off. <laughs> anyway, okay. So uh, you're next. It what is. Do you, what do you got for me? Okay. So 
we've created a little bit of a trilogy here because I've done a sequel, so we've got a nice little oh, prequel, right. actual film. Good, I was hoping, because mine felt fairly normal this week, no, no crossover, so I was, uh, as always, scared you were going to do the same. No, 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 no. So mine's a sequel, and Good. it's called Tom Ripley, The Disco Years. Okay. Yeah. Because I was thinking of a sequ- how a sequel to this film might look. I was thinking, well, 20 years have passed in the real world, so, mm. you know, so Matt Damon can't play, like, a 20-year-old anymore, so... Certainly. So I was like, well, what would Tom... Hence why I cast somebody completely different. <laughs> True, exactly, yeah. But so I was thinking about, you know, where would he be in 20 years? And I was thinking, well, the original film's set in the 50s, because that means that 20 years hence will be the 70s. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then it all came together. Um, so, yeah, it's 20 years after the events of the original film. Mm-hmm. And Tom Ripley, now in his kind of early to mid forties, yeah, is living in New York. Apparently, he got away with uh, murdering Peter Smith Kingsley, Great. and uh, he's just scraped back to scraping a living as a function pianist, basically, just doing lots of gigs playing piano. Yeah, sure. So he's back, basically, back where he started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one evening, he's asked to fill in for another pianist at a club gig for a singer named Dino Farino. Am I supposed to know who that is? No, this isn't anyone real. Okay. I just thought it was like a cool seventies like disco name, Dino it, Farino. It is a very good name. Yeah. So, Dino Farino is a fabulous middle-aged gay man. He always wears, like, big fur coats and feather boas. He's very extravagant. He has a cabaret show, basically. Mm-hmm. Like an old-fashioned New York cabaret show, like you might have seen in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Liberace kind of thing. And he's going to be played by Ben Affleck. <laughs> the obvious choice. Uh, you love pairing up actors, don't you? I do. Well, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, they are well, a pair. Like, they yeah. came to, so, I like the idea of reuniting them. Also, because they, they are very much a pair for me. In terms of how they became famous and kind of where their careers went since. And mm. They're also both kind of boring actors who do kind of the same thing a lot. So I would love to see Ben Affleck doing kind of what Matt Damon was doing in Ripley where he plays against type. Can you imagine Ben Affleck playing like a really extravagantly camp homosexual? No, not at all. Like, when was the last time Ben Affleck showed an emotion? Exactly. So I really want to push him. I, want, I want, really want this to be... I really want to make Ben Affleck do something that is so outside of his comfort zone. Yeah. So he's, this is basically Ben Affleck playing like a Liberace type, a really like over-the-top camp, you know, almost stereotypical, practically a drag queen. Mm-hmm. So he's playing that character called Dino Farino, mm-hmm. which again is a great, you know, big camp gay man name. So, yeah. You've been talking about camp gay men for the past five minutes. Well, I'm excited, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't tell. <laughs> so Tom, Tom has, twenty in the 20 years since, you know, the original film, he's never really been able to come to terms with his sexual identity. It always felt like something he wasn't very comfortable with. Like He was aware mm-hmm. of it, but like, you know, you also tried to hide it a lot. So, uh, What name is he going by at the moment? It's Tom Ripley. Okay. He's, he's, he doesn't see anyone from... Non, no, no one else from the original film recurs in this, so he's just back to his original name. We never know whatever happened to Meredith, but he's just... He obviously can't move in those circles anymore, so he's just kind yeah. of living a quiet life away. Okay. Uh, the money he got from the original film, is, he's, he's obviously frittered away. It's not lasted him very long, so... Yeah. So anyway, he's never really been able to come to terms with his, kind of, his sexuality or anything, so he's both kind of fascinated by Dino and slightly repulsed at the same time. But uh, they do the gig and he plays very well because he's a talented pianist. Mm-hmm. And Dino takes a liking to him. He kind of senses, you know, that they have some things in common and he's kind of a kindred spirit. And mm-hmm. he just likes him. He takes a liking to him. Yeah. Uh, so Dino's character is, he's kind of popular on the old school underground cabaret circuit. Back in the 40s and 50s and into the 60s, before kind of homosexuality was brought into the mainstream, you would have these kind of underground cabaret clubs, which was like, people wouldn't talk about, but they would go to, and you'd have these kind of performers who were kind of popular in that kind of world. Yeah. So he's that, basically. So he's this underground cabaret performer, but uh, but as he's getting older, tastes are changing, and he's kind of fallen out of fashion a little bit. He's kind of a bit of a relic. Uh, so his gigs aren't very well attended, etc. So he asks Tom if they can work together and come up with some new tunes to mm-hmm. kind of freshen up the act a little bit. So, because at the moment he's mostly just singing show tunes, like Judy Garland style kind of stuff. 
but he's like, you know, there's this new music style that's just kind of starting to break through with all the kids now, and it's called disco. And I think um, I really want to tap into that, you know, get mm. a younger audience. Mm-hmm. And Tom's like, okay, cool. So do you remember the, in the original film when he finds out Dickie's into jazz, before he even meets Dickie, just because his dad says, he like studies jazz and yeah. just listens to all the jazz records and he absorbs it. Yeah. So I want a kind of a replica of that scene, but now Ripley is just absorbing like early disco music. So he's mm-hmm. listening to like, you know, Barry White and the Four Tops, just, doing, you know, old classic disco music and just being like, yeah, yeah. And just loving it and really, you know, really just absorbing it. So he does that, and then with his help, Dino starts working some popular disco hits into his act. Mm-hmm. And so now the reason for this is I want to see Ben Affleck do like a full kind of John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever kind of thing where I want Ben Affleck in like skin-tight leather white pants, just like strutting and disco mm-hmm. dancing and hip-thrusting and just, you know, mm-hmm. just living it. I'd love to see Ben Affleck attempt that. I think it would make him so uncomfortable. Yeah. So he's doing that, and it's a success, and the audience loves it. And his gigs are suddenly getting lots, much better attended. And he's riding the crest of a wave. And Ripley by now is fully on board. He's kind of really falling in love with this kind of glamorous lifestyle. Again, it's very very much similar to the first one where he's seeing this character like who very much lives and breathes in this world, much like Dickie lived and breathed in jazz and Italy and stuff. And he becomes intoxicated and he wants to be a part of it. And so he's now he's he's got over his discomfort. He's just basically falling in love with Dino. Mm-hmm. And Dino seems to like him too. He's very friendly with him. But Dino also is enjoying his newfound popularity. And he's sleeping with a lot of younger men, which is kind of sparking off Ripley's paranoia a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Ripley wants, because the thing Ripley is in the original, he wants to be whatever he thinks the person he's in love with wants him to be. So he tries to like shift his personality to fit whoever he's with. Yeah. So that means because Dino obviously likes younger boys. And by younger, I don't mean like underage. I mean like, you know, twinks, like early 20s, teenage boys, like, you know, that kind of thing. Like, like me? You, well, you're not a twink, but uh, I guess you're technically young, so... Yeah. <laughs> So this makes, the fact that Dino is really into these younger boys makes Ripley very insecure about his own age because he is in his 40s now. Mm-hmm. And he kind of starts wondering about, you know, whether he's wasted all his years hiding away in the dark, you know, all that kind of stuff. So so anyway, while Dino is on holiday with, on some cruise with all these younger lovers of his, Ripley books in for a facelift. Okay. Yep. And initially it works. So Dino comes back after he's, you know, recovered from his facelift. So, wait, sorry, Ripley books in for a facelift. Ripley has a facelift, yeah. yeah. Um, so... Does that mean that Matt Damon has a facelift? Yes. Is it still Matt Damon? Yeah, it's still Matt Damon. Okay. Yeah. But this is based, actually, there was another film where Matt Damon played, which is another, the other Matt Damon film I like. Uh, there's a film he where he did play a slightly different character. He was in the movie about the... Do you know who Liberace is? No. No. So Liberace was a really famous cabaret performer who I've based Ben Affleck on, actually, on this, mm-hmm. in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Like uh, He was a very kind of popular pianist and light entertainer. He was super, super camp and super, super gay. There was a film about him called Behind the Candelabra in which Michael Douglas played Liberace and Matt Damon played his young lover who has... The story. In the real story is that Liberace made his young lover have face, loads of facelifts to look more like him because he was this mm-hmm. massive narcissist. Mm-hmm. So this poor guy who, started, who was just young and stupid and impressionable just had loads of facelifts to resemble Liberace and so he just turned him into a doll of himself. So then the film Matt Damon has all his face works it's Matt Damon but with like a really weird taut face it's odd and it's weird okay. so I wanted, I was kind of imagining that doing this so. sure yeah I'll show you pictures afterwards but it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny so anyway so he has this facelift and Dino comes back and at first he's very supportive he, he's like oh you look fabulous you know he's no stranger to the surgeon's knife himself he's had a little bit of work done so mm-hmm. um, yeah. so he's like he's, he's all for it and he thinks it, having Ripley look that way makes helps them both to kind of project a younger image where he's trying to win this yeah. younger audience. So he's like, great, me and my accompanist both look younger than we are. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. 
So at this point, Dino Farino decides he wants to keep pushing this newfound popularity and take it to the next level by recording some original material. Mm. So he's like, he wants, and he asks Tom to help him to compose some original disco numbers so they can work into the act. So Ripley agrees, and they're sat around the piano, kind of riffing. And it's mostly just Tom. He's just kind of, you know, improving some piano lines and stuff. Mm. And then he starts thinking back, you know, he starts thinking about all the stuff that happened with Dickie, with Peter Smith Kingsley, or Mm. all the stuff of the original film, and all the stuff that he's been through. So he's playing some piano chords, and he improvises some lyrics. And the lyrics he improvises are, First I was afraid, I was terrified, Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side, etc. I'm not, we, we can't afford the whole song <laughs> and before he knows it he has written a rousing disco anthem called I Will Survive mm, okay yeah <laughs> and so Dino is this, has just been kind of like lazing on the chaise lounge and just snorting cocaine and not really contributing by the way are you going to sing in every episode from now on I'm thinking of making it a thing yeah. <laughs> so he's just he's not really been contributing he's been just lazing around snorting cocaine and you know but then, so then he hears the song, he gets very excited. He's like, that is fantastic. That is such an obvious hit. That is great. But hey, that opening line, that first I was afraid, I was terrified. What if it was petrified? What if it was first I was afraid, I was petrified? And Tom's like, yeah, sure, that works. And that's his sole contribution to the song. <laughs> so this is, um, this is kind of a riff on, well, it's going to play pain to the plot, but also this is kind of a riff on where Matt Damon and, Ben Affleck first became famous. It was because they yeah. both wrote the script for Goodwill Hunting. Oh yeah. And the the joke that went around was that Matt Damon wrote the script and Ben Affleck sat around getting high. Yeah. Like who knows how true that is, but uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of riffing on that again. That's another reason I wanted to reunite them. So yeah. okay. So that happens. So anyway, so they write this song. Dino records the song, and it's instantly a huge hit. It goes straight to number one in the charts, and it totally revitalizes his career. Mm-hmm. He, he sells millions, and now suddenly he's as famous as he's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even though he wrote the song, Ripley isn't getting any attention at all. Mm. He's just the man behind the piano. He's not a star. And, of course, now that Dino's really famous, he's even more distracted by partying and beautiful boys and all the things that take him away from yeah. Tom. Yeah. So this is making Tom really, really insecure. And so he starts having even more plastic surgery because he's, he's still trying to like make himself look like what he thinks Dino wants him to be. So he starts having really scary face work done. It's getting more and more weird mm-hmm. as time goes on. Anyway, that's happening. Then after a few months of this, uh, the news comes through that I Will Survive has been nominated for a Grammy Award. Right. And Ripley's very excited because he's, he's the main songwriter. You know, he wrote the song. And Dino's creative partner. So he assumes that they're going to go to the ceremony together. And then the night comes around and he's disappointed when Dino breaks to him that actually he's not going with him. His date to the Grammys is actually going to be recently divorced pop superstar Cher. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so he, he confronts Dino about this and he's like, why aren't you taking me? You know, I wrote the song with you. We've, we've been partners through all of this. You know, yeah. and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, but it just wouldn't look right. I need to maintain my image right now. I'm like at the height of my career. I can't be t- taking men to, as my date to Grammys because this is the 1970s. And, and this is something that really happened. Like super, super, super obviously gay celebrities like Liberace mm. would ostensibly pretend to be straight and would like pretend to date women because they even, even though it was obvious to everyone, they could never really say it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of, the idea with this. So poor old Tom doesn't get his date to the Grammys. He feels very rejected. Mm. He does manage to get a ticket though. Okay. Uh, but it's right at the back of the auditorium. It's like real cheap seat stuff. Mm. And so he watches Dino perform the song that he wrote. So, you know, an adoring crowd, mm-hmm. standing ovation, big moments. And then the nominations for best disco song of the year come in. Mm. And um, it goes, the Grammy goes to Dino Farino with I Will Survive. So Dino runs up to the podium and gives an emotional thank you speech. 
he thanks loads and loads of people mm-hmm. and at the end he says most of all I'd like to dedicate this award to my friend my partner the love of my life the person without whom none of this would have been possible share <laughs> <laughs> So now Tom is pissed. He is pissed <laughs> off. Yeah. So after the show, he goes backstage to Dino's dressing room mm. where, he, where, he, where he finds him drinking champagne with Cher mm. and he just lays into him. Much like he does to Dickie on the boat in the original mm-hmm. film. He's yeah. like, you know, I did everything for you. I wrote that song. You changed like one word. This is my song. You know, I saved your career and you didn't even thank me in the speech. You didn't even mention me. Look at me. I've changed my entire face for you. And what do I get in return? Nothing. He's, furious so then Cher says I need to take him out to get to, I need to get into Cher character now this is this, this is the, before, the very important I get this right so Cher says uh, John just left the room and came back with a wig so, so says honey your piano player is weird no I can do better I can do better <laughs> go on go on please <laughs> Cher says honey your piano player I've, I've lost I had it before before you came in like, I had this voice come on Come on. <laughs> Keep all this in, by the way. Do too, not edit this out. Too much pressure. <laughs> honey, your piano player is weird. And then shit. That's as, bad, as good as it's going to go. Okay. <laughs> honey, 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 your piano player is weird. <laughs> <laughs> that was great fun to watch. Cher is deceptively hard to impersonate. You'd think it'd be a really easy one to do, but like, her voice is... <sighs> I think for me, because vo- you probably do a better Cher than me, actually. No. No, you could. I'm not going to ask you to. But I, I, I don't know how she talks. Yeah. I, I can only impersonate what I've just heard. Yeah, well, Cher's voice is very much down here, and my voice is kind of up here, so... I'm going to marry him. Do you hear me? Last night never happened, and I'm going to marry him, and you and I are going to take this to our coffins. I can't do that. Why not? I'm in love with you. Snap out of it! Okay, listeners, if you could... Please, can you record yourselves doing your own share impression? Yes, yes, we'd like that. And please. we will feature that on next week's episode. 100%, 100%. <laughs> 100%. So, honey, your piano player is weird. And then she's off. And then Dino says, Tom, you're making a scene. I think you should leave. Mm. So, Tom storms off in tears, goes back to Dino's mansion, and waits up for him all night. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, he's waiting longer than one night because Dino goes on a massive post Grammy bender and it doesn't come back for three whole days. So he finally staggers in, bleary-eyed, and he's still drunk or high or both. And he's like, Tom, what are you, what are you doing here? Because Tom's just like sat in, a darkened, in his darkened living room, just like mm. very intense, just staring, waiting. He's been waiting for mm-hmm. three whole days. And uh, Tom says, I've been waiting for you. And Dino says, for, for three days? <laughs> and then Tom just lays it all out once again about how undervalued he feels, how Dino's been using him. Or he, doesn't, he only changed that one word in the song. He doesn't have the courtesy to say thank you. And he's, all he's tried to do is love Dino and he's, Dino's never given anything back to him. So it's, mm. again, it's that whole Ripley dicky speech all over again. Yeah. And then Dino's, Dino's like, okay, I've been meaning to tell you this for a while, but I don't think we should work together anymore. And he's like, what do you mean? He says, well, I don't feel like I need you anymore. You know, you, you're being very intense right now. It's creeping me out a little bit. But also, yeah, I can get another piano player now. I'm, I'm at the height of my career. And I, need, I can get with someone who isn't so needy. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've, I've spent the last two nights with this guy called Elton, and um, <laughs> we're planning to go on tour together. So I'm going to go to bed, because I'm very drunk and tired and high. When I wake up, I don't need to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so this is literally the dicky situation all over again. So yeah. Tom just loses it. So as Dino staggers upstairs, drunkenly, Tom grabs a gun, shoots him in the back of the head, and he falls down dead. So it's happening again. It's all happening again. Mm-hmm. History repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's horrified. And he calls the police and he tells them something terrible's happened at Dino Farina's mansion. 
And actually, he does intend to confess this time. Okay, he's... I was going to say, how is he going to explain yeah. he's there and there's a gun and somebody's been shot in the back of the head? Well, this is it. So he, <laughs> he's, he's tired of running away. He just, wants to, he just wants to get caught. So he just sits there, you know, kind of in a state of shock and waits for the police to come and arrest him. Mm-hmm. So the police turn up. They take one look at the scene and they go, well, this was obviously a suicide. <laughs> what? Well, because this is a joke on the original film where it seemed like the police were, well, it felt like police Wigan could have done a better job of like solving the crime. Like, they just made so many assumptions. So. Yeah, true. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, it's, the, it's, that's the joke. So he's, <clears> it's, it's again that thing of him constantly getting away with things without him even trying to and mm-hmm. just being really weird. So what, what do you mean? It's a suicide. He's been shot in the back of the head. <laughs> like These drugged up celebrities, it happens more than you'd think. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so once again, he's totally got away with it in spite of everything. Okay. He's completely bewildered. Mm. So the police take the body and they leave and Tom is kind of left alone in Dino's house. Mm. And then in Dino's mansion. And then within hours, the story breaks in the national media. So the story of Dino's tragic drug-induced suicide at the heights of his fame. It's like all over the papers. It's the big story. And so soon the house is surrounded by paparazzi. None of them know who Tom is. You know, he's, mm-hmm. not, he's not famous. He's never been famous. Yeah. But there's, So he's just hiding away in, in the mansion, listening to all this. And then he hears the sound of wheels on the driveway, followed by a big commotion as all the paparazzi start scrambling and taking photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the next thing, Cher storms in. Okay. And she's like, honey, I knew I'd find you in here. I've totally <laughs> lost my Cher voice now. I don't know where that's gone. <laughs> my dude, my dude, no. My dude, no. My dude, no. My dude, no. My dude, my dude, my dude, no. My dude, no would never kill himself. He left that party in the best mood of his life. He told me he was going to get ready to let you go. You know what you are? You ain't nothing but a gypsy, a tramp, and a murderer. <laughs> I'm gonna tell. So, Tom desperately tries to reason with Cher, mm. but she's just having none of it. She's like, all her suspicions are confirmed by finding Tom hiding out at the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. So she, she turns around to walk back out and tell the paparazzi what really went down. So, in a, in a panic, and I need a moment for this. This is the hardest thing I've ever said on this podcast. This is the hardest plot I've ever ever had to do right okay need a please go on so Tom Tom shoots Cher oh god <laughs> yeah bang bang he shot her down bang bang she hit the ground <laughs> oh no yeah so now if there's no way out of this one like he, shot, shot, shot dead in Cher, Cher is dead okay Cher is dead so he no, he's just there's no way out of this one now any questions? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just dealing with this. Yeah, good. It's, it's hard for all of us. Inside. Yeah. Do carry on then. Okay. So he's just killed beloved pop icon Cher. There's no way out of this one. And all the paparazzi know that she's in the house. So there's, mm. there's no way out. There's no way out whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So he prepares himself to give himself up and surrender. And admits what he's done. But then as, he, as he's walking up to examine Cher's body, he notices that uh, her wig's flown off. You know, Cher's never without a wig. So as she fell down, her, her, her Cher wig for the day just went flying across the room. Mm. He looks at the wig, and I thought, okay, I <laughs> He puts on the wig, no, no. and he looks in the mirror, <clears throat> and he realises, because he's had all his face work done, mm. now he actually kind of just looks like Cher. The resemblance is uncanny. Like, <laughs> so... <laughs> Sorry, I just... I love that I went with Elvis, you went with Cher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was when you said Elvis, I was like, oh, we're crossing the territory here. Yeah. <laughs> and he can already do the voice because anyone can do a decent Cher impersonation, clearly. Clearly, yeah. 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 <laughs> so he wraps up Cher's body and hides it in the closet upstairs to deal with later and steps outside as Cher, oh, puts all, all, all of her clothes, squeezes yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's a statuesque woman. He's mm-hmm. pretty skinny. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. Uh, and finally steps out to 
greet the paparazzi as Cher, having finally made Tom Ripley disappear forever, which is what he wanted to do. Mm. And so over the closing credits, I wanted to see concert footage of Matt Damon as Tom Ripley, as Cher, singing Believe in the 90s <laughs> to like a crowd of thousands. And that's his happy ending. And that is the end of uh, Tom Ripley, the disco years. Wow, that was uh, that was something special. <laughs> um, I think the, the 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 thing that I'm most excited about is to actually hear all our listener impressions of Cher. Yeah, I'm really excited. I hope please please do contribute to this. Is yes, I've got a few people in mind who uh, I reckon will do it. Um, pick any quote from anybody in the history of mankind. Just do it as Cher. Do it or, as or Cher. sing a little line of one of Cher's songs. All that, yeah. yeah. But it's mm. got to be as share. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of listeners, mm-hmm. listeners submissions. Yes. Yes. What we have got this week then. We do. So we have Dadzonecast at Dadzonecast said uh, Townsend, Mr. Ripley to Red Dragon. Tom now lives in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, as a forensic psychiatrist under the assumed name Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Mm. So he becomes yes. Red Dragon yeah. is a prequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. Mm-hmm. And then. We had a, about a lot of others, but they, all of them had the same idea, roughly. Which okay. uh, yeah, which is that Tom Ripley becomes Ellen Ripley. So from... <laughs> what did I think of that? Mm. God damn! I thought you might have done. So we've got Talking Crass at Talking Crass said the talented Ellen Ripley. Mm. Tom meets his long lost aunt, who has been sent back in town to warn him that John Connor will create the first Zeno. <laughs> that ties in a nice bit of a yeah. nice bit of um, yeah, I like that bit of uh... Terminator as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Smorgasbord at Smorgasbord say the obvious suggestion is that Matt Damon is, finds himself chasing around the galaxy attempting to swindle the crew of the Nostromo yeah. um, but, on const- but constantly finding himself abandoned on various planets <laughs> okay and okay. then We Watch Anything they've done a long one at We Watch Anything so uh, get comfortable this is a story about a woman born in a blue collar Beleria mining family in the Catskills but determined to escape the poverty and experience everything that life has to offer she thinks she's found her escape in Damon, a charismatic loner who blows into town and sweeps her off her feet. A life of excitement flashes before her eyes, and she's all packed up, ready to go, when she hears the news that Damon has been killed in a liquor store holdup, trying to raise funds for their departure. Mm-hmm. She's heartbroken, her dreams are crushed, and she finds herself 19 and pregnant with Damon's child. Her deeply religious father kicks her out of the house, and she's forced to hitch to another town to start a new life. She arrives in Boston, this is long, she arrives in Boston, determined to make something of herself and bring up her child. Life is hard, though, and she's forced into a downward spiral of low-paying jobs and petty crime. Finally, she finds her niche as a confidence trickster, where her iron will and boundless nerve serve her well. Soon, she's able to afford a much more comfortable life, and she runs into a better class of criminal. Her younger sister has also been yearning to leave the mining town, and she convinces her to join her in Boston and look after her niece. With the burden of childcare now lifted, our heroine can seize the opportunity for one big score to end all scores. The only catch is, it's off-world. If she can get herself onto a starship, she can really provide for her daughter, and so she lies and cheats her way into the position of warrant officer on the starship Nostromo, and sets off to bring home the bacon, and it's called the talented Ellen Ripley. So. <laughs> wow. Yep. So, there we go. And those are our good, great ones, guys. A lot of detail. A lot of, um, yeah. A lot of alien crossovers going on there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I have two questions. Yes. So, first of all, the, the obvious question. What are we doing next week? And your second question? No, no, you have to answer that first. Okay, well, next week, so... There's many films I could have chosen. Many films inspired from this episode. Okay. Films like Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. like you said. I was thinking Sliding Doors as well, a bit of Gwyneth Paltrow. There's a film Gwyneth Paltrow that people remember. Yeah, Sliding see. Doors, great, yeah. I was thinking that. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'll do the next week. No, maybe not. Maybe Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would would be a good one. No, I decided why pick a good film? 
Oh, are we doing a bad film? Like, and I can pick a bad film. Oh, I love a bad film. Go on. I don't even know if it's a bad film. Okay. I've just not heard good things. Okay. Um, it's called Knights of Bad Aston. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Nobody ever has. How did you know about this film? Uh, it came up on a YouTube video I was watching. It was uh, something about ten cult movies that, or ten movies that never got the, got the cult fandom they deserved. Okay. This was number one. Knights of Bad Aston. Knights of Bad Aston. Is I it? would say, like you said to me, don't look into it because I don't know I know what the cast is. Oh, the famous people in this. Mm. Okay, I'm intrigued. Yeah. So yeah, that's next week. Cool. Uh, please tune in, everyone. Knights I'm of excited, Bad Aston. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you'd like to um, pitch your own sequels to The Town of Ripley or Knights of Badastam or any other film we might do it, we've done in the past or might do in the future, we are be on the box set. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. You can find us on all your favourite podcast uh, hosting services such as iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Overcast, Player FM. And you can also visit our website at um, beyondtheboxset.com. Yeah. So please let us know and anything you'd like us to see us do in the future or any sequel ideas you have. If you like what we do, please subscribe and leave us a review it really helps us out and please send in your share impressions yes that's the main thing this week send in your share impressions so I'd like to close with a second question though if I may okay what have you got so if you were to kill me and attempt to steal my identity which is a constant fear of mine how long do you think you could keep the ruse going okay well my first question is why would I do that? I agree. No, no, there's no reason why. Yeah, what have you got to offer? I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe one of my plots just gets too upsetting and you just can't handle it. You just end up beating me to death with our fabulous new bird microphones. <laughs> um, okay, so how long would how long would I be able to keep it up? Yeah. As you? I like that. I just loved the idea. I almost went with this because it, it would have been too close to what you did last week of like bringing our real life into it. Uh-huh. But like, I just loved the idea. I just I found myself imagining like you running around like all of our friends and trying to like be like, oh yeah, you just missed John. He was just here. Like, <laughs> I'll definitely be doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd be the, be the one person who still speaks to John. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I think in, my first thing would be I'd try and work out how to do voices. Yes. So I keep the podcast going. Mm-hmm. But obviously I'm doing both. Well, that'd be a big tell. Yeah, you'd have to do the podcast on your own. Yeah, yeah I'd have to start doing some really dark ideas as well. But you know, and then try and do more voices where I've got to do share impressions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Sign my own death warrant. This could be, quite, this could be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, yeah. let me know when's, when's convenient for you. Uh, what, for me to die? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. Cool. Well, on that dark note. Yeah, yeah, thanks everyone for listening to the last true episode of Beyond the Books. <laughs> Yeah. If you sense a strange tonal shift next week, you'll know why. So. <laughs> um, yeah, please give us a subscribe and a, and a review as well on iTunes if you can. Yes, please do. Um, five stars or more. Yeah, um, 52 away from nudity. So. Ooh, not happening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, see you all next week for Nights of Bad Aston. Can't wait. Bye. Bye.